Hi, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I've created a place you can go to anytime you need to take a break from everyday life and work. A place you can always count on for a great story. And it's called 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. Or simply, Roy's Diner. It's just up ahead on the right. On the menu tonight at Roy's Diner, the very best of 50s vintage suspense, thriller, and sci-fi radio. We're inviting you to stop in for a story or two. The caffeine here is included in the story. And now, two stories for your entertainment. All we ask is that you share them with others and send us a review when you can. Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York and the independent marketers of Richfield gasolines, motor oils, and other petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, we escape to the Nevada desert in the story of a foreign spy who sought to renounce the left arm and become once again an American citizen. As Hildegard Thielhead tells it in her exciting new novel, The Rim of Terror, starring Miss Nancy Kelly. I don't know why I gave him a lift, even now, with the terror gone like a half-remembered nightmare. I can't be sure why I stopped the big Bentley convertible on that lonely road in Nevada and gave him a lift. Maybe because he looked so bedraggled standing there hatless in the rain by the side of the road. Maybe because he smiled grimly, almost with a sneer that was a challenge. I don't know. Anyway, I slammed on the brakes and he walked slowly up to the car. Torko, my big Chinook, stiffened on the seat beside me. Quiet, Torko. So you've decided I don't look like too much of a risk? Not at all. Please get in. You, you look very wet. As a matter of fact, I am very wet. Backseat, Torko. Torko, is it? <laughs> How are you, Torko? Well, he's quite a dog. I bet he could easily kill a man. Oh, he's really quite well behaved, and he wouldn't attack without orders. You have made yourself quite clear. Impressive machine, this. Mm -hmm, I love it, but I'm really not used to it yet. I, I just got it last week. You drive it very well. Oh, thank you, but I, I don't really. Where are we now? I'd say about 25 miles east of Winnemucca. You're new to this part of the country? Yes and no. I've never seen that view before. Mm, it's breathtaking. Such, such a difference from back home. Back home? New England. This is the first time I've ever been in the West, and I love it. The scenery is yes, so... Yes, but this particular scenery doesn't appeal to me very much. Why not? I'd say there's someone waiting for us down there. Look. I looked. And far below on the valley floor was a fork in the road and an abandoned building... Near it was a black speck that looked like a wagon and two smaller black specks that moved. Men, no doubt, though from here they looked like ants. I'd suggest slowing down. Not much, though. I expect they're watching us through field glasses. Who? 
Let me out here. What? This cut hides us from them. Stop the car. I'm sorry our ride together must end so soon. Don't be afraid. Have your dog sit in the front seat and keep him there until you are safe in Winnemucca. I, I don't understand. You know what a roadblock is? A roadblock? Are, are the police after you? Not the police of this country. Just tell them you have not seen me and they'll pass you on all right. Goodbye. Thank you. He turned and started climbing the steep bank at the side of the road. He stopped halfway to the top and impatiently motioned me to go on. I slipped the car into gear and suddenly I felt very much alone and, and scared. I motioned Torkel into the front seat and started down the pass into the desert valley. A couple of miles further, at the forks, the road was blocked by a black delivery truck. I was almost tempted to swing around it, but the man in the plastic raincoat who held his hand up so casually didn't look dangerous at all, so I came to a stop. Another man in a black raincoat was leaning against the truck trying to clean the mud from his shoes. Across the panel of the truck was a sign that read, Nevada Public Opinion Surveys, Carson City. I felt a little silly for feeling scared a moment before. Howdy, miss. We're making a traffic check. Yes? Mind answering a few questions? Only take a minute. What do you want to know? Well, now, let's see. Where are you from? Vermont. Vermont? Well, I declare. We don't get many tourists from Vermont. Uh, you come all this way alone? Well, I don't suppose you'd count my dog as a passenger. Well, I guess not. Although I always say a dog's a man's or a woman's best friend. Nobody else with you? No. Have you given any rides to hitchhikers? No. no Through the windshield, I saw a man in the black raincoat reach into the van. There was a smear of yellow paint on his raincoat, and the letters on the neat sign were blurred. It had been freshly painted, and the paint had rubbed off when he leaned against the sign a moment ago. Even if you've given somebody just a short ride, we have to put it down. It's for the statistical average. I'm, I'm sorry, but I've lost too much time already. I, I can't answer any more of your questions. <laughs> The man in the, in the black raincoat was beside the car now, peering in over the interviewer's shoulder. Somebody's been sitting in the seat next to Curly Head there. You can see where the seat's wet. Let's quit stalling, Mr. Smith. Shut up. Ma'am, you can see for yourself you've had somebody sitting in that seat not very long ago. My, my dog. Your dog's are dry as a bone, ma'am. I'll search the trunk compartment. Maybe she's got, her, got him hidden there. You get her keys, will you? You take your hands off the steering wheel. Now, ma'am, just give me the keys. Talk I had no idea the Bentley had such power. It leapt forward under the accelerator as I swung it around, clipping the front bumper of the delivery truck, skidding across the wet road and throwing a, a sheet of liquid mud over the two men. Through the rearview mirror, I could see them running up the road after me, then stop and give up. I shifted into fourth and headed back up the mountain at 80 miles an hour. And then, as I rounded a curve, there he was again, my passenger, laboriously clambering down the bank at the side of the road. He waved to me when he heard the car. And again, I don't know why I stopped. Maybe it was the painful way he was limping. Maybe because his figure looked so tiny and alone in all that vastness. Maybe it was because I remembered the cruel blue eyes of the red-haired interviewer glowering balefully behind his thick glasses. Anyway, again, I stopped. Backseat, Torkel. Get in. I'm driving back to the main highway. I can take you into town that way. I would not have hailed you, only I twisted my ankle up there. Oh? Oh, I'm sorry. I was watching from the hill. What happened down there? Lose your nerve? Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I did, after they 
saw the damp mark your suit had made and the man reached for the ignition keys, I guess I lost my nerve. Where was the third man? There wasn't one. He must have been hiding. Was one of them red-headed with glasses? Yes, yes. The, the other one called him Mr. Smith. What's this all about? Who are they? Who are you? I suppose I do owe you some kind of an explanation. Uh, my driver's license and army discharge say I am Peter Whittlesley of Elko, Nevada. But they're very excellent forgeries. Forgeries? Oh, yes. You see, I am, or, or rather, was a spy. What? Yes, I landed in San Francisco three days ago in the crew of a little Greek freighter. Uh, Mr. Smith met me. His assignment was to get me from my ship to my new job. Where? Los Alamos, New Mexico? Naturally. I ducked him last night. Why are you stopping? Get out. How far can I walk on this please, foot? Please, please, just get out. When you picked me up, I was on my way to the police to give myself up. It's my only way to get away from them. You must believe it me. It sounds like a bad movie. Now get out. What about that bullet hole? What bullet hole? In the windshield. Oh? oh I, I, I didn't see it before. I... My friend, Mr. Smith, of course. I suppose I didn't hear the gun go off over the sound of the motor. Do you believe me now? Maybe I do. When you have been sent on a mission into a country by the left arm, you're not supposed to change your mind and go over to the other side. They don't like it. The left arm? What's that, a, a fifth column? Well, I suppose you could call it that. How do you speak English so well if you're a foreigner sent over here by the, by the left arm? Foreigner? I was born right here in Nevada. And this is the only way I could get back home. No, please, don't make me get out. Take me to the nearest police station, will you? Please. I suppose it was my New England conscience, or maybe just plain old curiosity, or maybe... Well, he was attractive. And on the twisting downgrade into Winnemucca, I learned his story, how he'd been born in Nevada of Central European immigrant parents, how he'd been taken back to their homeland when he was 11, how he'd fought the Germans with the partisans and, after the war, had been educated as an undercover agent by the left arm. How he'd passed every test and resisted every temptation his teachers offered in his one desire to return home to America. And believe me, America is home. I was born here and I want to work here and to die here. Do you, do you think the police will believe you? I don't know. Do you? I... well, I, I want to, but it's a pretty wild yarn. It's true. Every word of it. Uh, I know it is. I... I feel it is. Thank you. And now, tell me a little bit about you, a poor little rich girl. <laughs> well, don't, don't let this beautiful car fool you. It's the only extravagance I've ever indulged in in my life. Well, I must say, when you decide to be extravagant, you don't do it by halves. <laughs> oh, there's the city hall. Police station must be there. You can drop me here on the corner. You won't waste any time getting through town, then. <laughs> I don't even know your name to thank you. Oh, it's uh, Elizabeth Whitehill. I shall never forget it, nor your face. <laughs> you're, uh, you're forgetting your coat. Huh? Oh, <laughs> thank you. My name is, is really Alex Peck. I hope I shall see you again someday. Uh, until then, wish me luck. <laughs> I, I do, Alex. Goodbye, and thank you. 
He turned and was gone, limping across the courthouse square, and I suddenly felt very much alone. I headed west once more for Highway 45 and, and the straight road across Idaho and Oregon for Seattle. And then a few miles further, Torkel nudged my arm. No, no, Torkel, no, we don't play when I'm driving, no. I glanced at him and slowed down. He had a wallet in his mouth. Alex's wallet. It must have been dropped out of his coat as he left the car. He'd, he'd need it. It was part of the proof of his story. I, I swung the big Bentley into a side road, whipped it into reverse, and straightened out on the road back to Winnemucca. I let the car out. Eighty. Ninety. A hundred. A hundred and five on one straight stretch. And then, then down to a cautious fifty-five as I entered the town limits until I pulled up before the police station in the basement of the courthouse. Stay, Torkel. Ma'am? Are you the officer in charge here? I'm Sergeant Helding. I I'm looking for Mr. Alexander Peck. I drove him here not more than a half hour ago. Mr. Peck left his papers in my car. I, I thought he might want them, so I brought them back. Well, he's, uh, uh, gone, ma'am. Gone? Yep. Ma'am, you don't know how lucky you were. That fellow was a lunatic. Lunatic? Sure. His name is Peter Whittlesey from Elko. Nuttier than a fruitcake. He escaped from the Carson City Asylum last night. They came for him in the wagon. A black panel truck. That's right. Had Carson City State Asylum painted on the panel. In, in, in fresh, fresh paint? Pardon, ma'am? You've made a dreadful mistake. That's the same truck that stopped me back at Indian Forks. It must be. You're one of the most stupid, incompetent, ignoramuses that, that ever sent a man to be tortured. Yes, and perhaps murdered. Now, ma'am, them's mighty hard words. And I mean every one of them. Now, ma'am, let's not have any sass out of you. You're too nice a gal to go around picking up strangers. Just run along now, ma'am. We're pretty busy but here. But don't you understand? Understand you're wasting our time. Good day, ma'am. No. Just a minute. What? That's your car over there, that yellow thunderbolt. Y yes You have any idea how fast you were going when you passed the airport? Why, I, I, uh... Well, I'll tell you. I was doing 90 on my motorcycle and you walked right away from me. I got a good mind to throw the book at you. Here's a free offer you won't want to miss. A free offer by your Richfield gasoline dealer. Just for the asking, you can get a new 32-page baseball book that's a hit in any league. This new Richfield baseball book is the most interesting book of its kind ever published. It contains all the major league schedules and many minor league schedules. It shows the World Series box scores. And it has a special baseball quiz you can try on your friends. In the free Richfield baseball book, You'll also find seating diagrams of leading stadiums and dozens of other interesting facts on America's number one sport. But the supply is limited, so be sure to get your free copy tomorrow from your Richfield gasoline dealer. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Ask for your free copy of the new Richfield baseball book tomorrow. And now we return you to Escape, starring Miss Nancy Kelly. He was tall and capable-looking, this state trooper. He 
had a kind face, even if he was threatening to throw the book at me. I told him the whole story, every bit of it, and, and he believed me. And you will, you will help me, won't you? That van can't go much faster than 50, 55 miles an hour, and my motorcycle can do close to 100. We didn't run into the van coming into town from the north, so I guess it's traveling along the highway south to Reno, maybe to California. I can catch it and stop it, sure, so what? How do I know the guy isn't a lunatic, and the van isn't on the level? I got to have an identification. You'd, you'd like me to drive behind you? If you can identify those guys as the same guys who stopped you and tried to shoot you, I got a case. I'll make them wish they were never born. Let's go. Once outside the city limits, the motorcycle leapt forward. I held the Bentley at 60 until it was a half mile ahead of me, and then I accelerated to keep the distance constant. The tachometer crept up 4,500, 5,000, 6,000 revolutions per minute. The cars we passed were silent blurs, respectfully pulling to one side at the peremptory scream of the motorcycle siren. Then down the shimmering surface of the road, miles ahead of us appeared a lurching black speck. It was the van. The trooper waved his arm for me to slow down and swung alongside the truck. It was like watching a jerky movie from a great distance. And suddenly, the motorcycle swerved away and the, the trooper was firing his gun. And the van lurched into the ditch. The motorcycle slithered across the road, threw the officer onto the pavement. And the man in the black raincoat stepped down from the van and walked toward the fallen trooper, stopped and, and fired his gun. And then, and then the trooper raised his arm and fired. The man in the black coat fell forward and he caught his balance and then slumped to the ground like a puppet with a, with a broken string. I, I slipped into gear and, and drove up to the truck. The man in the black raincoat was lying on his back staring sightlessly at the sky, a little red hole in his forehead. The trooper was sprawled out on the shoulder of the road, a trickle of blood from his chest soaking into the sand. Another man was slumped against the wheel of the van. They were all dead. And neither of the two men from the truck was Mr. Smith. Neither had pinkish red hair. Mr. Smith wasn't there. Mr. Smith still lived to avenge and pursue. But somebody else in this silent scene of death was alive. Somebody inside the truck, scratching at the, at the bolted door. I, I unlocked the black doors of the van. And there he was. There, strapped in a straitjacket, was Alex. It was not until I'd untied him and had him safely out of the truck that I became faint. It is all over. This part, at least, there's no reason to shiver and shake. I, I, I can't stop. Well, it's shock. Now, let us pick up the pieces. How did you get I, here? I, I found your wallet. Go on. Make yourself talk. You you dropped it in my car. I, I, I thought you'd need it at the police station. Are you well enough to drive that machine of yours? I... I think so. Where? Well, that depends on what happened to Mr. Smith. Where, where is he? I, I thought he was in the truck. No. Have you seen him? And since he stopped the car this morning at Indian Forks. Where, where do you think he is? I have not the slightest idea, but he's looking for us, you may be sure. We've got to get away from here. All right. All right. I'm, I'm ready. Come on. Now, wait a minute. What happened to you? He pointed to my jacket. It was splotched with a deep red stain. Blood. No, no, I don't think so. Oh, the cans of paint in the back of the truck when you untied me. You must have spilled one. Take it off. Why? Do you want people to ask questions? Here, get in. Start the motor. Give me that jacket. What are you going to do? Ditch it. <coughs> oh, there's a car coming. Let's go. Good. It's in a dip a couple of miles back. They did not see us. My mother knit that jacket for me. Good. Then you know where you can have it replaced. Where are you headed? We'll drive straight through to Seattle. Oh, Seattle's too far. No, no, now listen. 
My friend in Seattle, Charles Matthews, he'll know what to do. He has, he has connections, even in Washington. He may not be too willing to help me. Under the circumstances, I could hardly blame him. Charles is bigger than that. I wonder. Two hours later, we were 120 miles nearer Seattle and filling the gas tank at a lonely motor court set in a clump of scraggly pines. Sure is a thirsty bus. Took 22 gallons. Yes, it was nearly empty. That'll be 528. Will you cash a traveler's check? Oh, sure. All right, just a minute. Alec. What? My, my traveler's checks, they were pinned inside my jacket. The jacket you threw away. We'll have to go back. Oh, do you have any idea what that piece of road will be like now? Half the population of Winnemucca driving out to see where the gun battle occurred? But, Alec, that's all the money I have in the world. Now you can stop payment on them. You can get your money back. But now, right now, I've, I've only got a dollar and 75 cents. Uh, let me see what I have in my pocket. Uh, two silver dollars, a lot of chicken feed. To yes, we can make it. With half a dollar to spare. Here you are, madam. Thank you. Come again. But how are we going to get to Seattle on 50 cents? The moment I have not got the slightest idea. Well, this tank full of gasoline won't take us half the way. Uh, you, you could phone your boyfriend, collect, and tell him we are strapped and ask him to wire you some money. I couldn't ask Charles for money. Why not? <laughs> we, you wouldn't understand. If you don't want to ask him for money, don't. Uh, I'll figure something out. Yeah, like robbing a bank. Maybe. Oh, with your training, that shouldn't be too difficult. Perhaps. I'm sorry. That was unkind of me. Why do you suppose we're bickering like this? I haven't the slightest idea. Haven't you? No. Neither have I. Payette, Idaho was the first big town. It was dark when we got there. Alec told me to pull up in front of the hotel. You can get a room and a hot bath while you're putting in your call to Charles. I can't get a room for 50 cents. Oh, look across the street. That's what I've been looking for. What? A pawn shop. <laughs> My watch should be good for a few dollars. It's Swiss, international currency, you know, Swiss watches. Now beat it. Get a bath. I'll take Torkel with me and call you in your room in half an hour. Come on, Torkel. The hotel clerk showed me to a room on the second floor. It wasn't a very quiet room. On the corner beneath my window, the people of Payette were celebrating Old Timer's Day. They'd set up a kangaroo court and were trying their fellow townsmen who'd failed to cooperate by refusing to raise beards and wear pioneer clothes. But I couldn't waste time watching the fun. I had to get through to Charles. I, I placed the call and started the bathwater running when there was a knock on the door. Who is it? Here, towels, ma'am. As I unbolted the door, I happened to glance into the bathroom. There on the rack above the tub, fluffy and white, were my towels. I tried to push the door shut, but, but it was too late. Mr. Smith shouldered into the room. I, I started to shout for help, but the sound never came. He hit me in the pit of the stomach with his fist, and I, I fell across the bed gasping for breath as the phone started to ring. I... I couldn't move. I couldn't make a sound. I lay there with the wind knocked out of me watching Mr. Smith as he picked up the receiver. Hello? How much delay? Oh, just a minute. I'll ask my wife. She says to cancel the call. We'll try later. Thank you. Now, young lady, no monkey business. You try to yell, and I'll cut off your wind for good. You too, you and Peck, have caused me a good deal of trouble. I had a lot of trouble finding you. You should not have done that. How... How did you find us? The left arm never fails. Where's Peck? I, I, I don't know. You are lying. 
I have plenty of time. I'll wait for him here. He is sure to return for you. I now, had to get to me, Alex. I had to hard. warn him. I the bathroom door was open. Smith was holding my arm, but for a moment he relaxed his grip. I swung away from him and threw myself into the bathroom, pulling the door shut and locking it. I expected him to shoot through the door, and I ran to the window ready to jump, but it wasn't necessary. There was a rickety fire escape. I crawled through and ran down the shaky steel stairs, dropped six feet to the mud, and ran around the corner of the building toward the old-timers' kangaroo court on the corner, and, and there was Smith coming toward me through the crowd. He, he reached out his hand for me. I, I whirled around and shouldered my way through the crowd to the table where the, where the man was sitting with the microphone. Please, please, please help me. Oh, hello there, miss. Now give me your microphone. Now, just a minute, miss. You can't interrupt this. Please, please, it's a matter of life or death. Alec, Alec, stay where you are. They found me. And then, and then Smith came for me. He and a, and a big man with a beard. And then, and then a, a tawny streak tore through the crowd. Torkel. He, he'd heard my voice. He ripped the big man's leg. He jumped for Smith's throat. But before he reached it, the man with the beard pulled out a revolver. And Torkel lay there quiet. Mad dog, mad dog, I tried to bend over him, but I knew it was no use. He, he was dead, and, and Smith had me now. Holding me. I told her that dog was sick. Your dog? Yes. To see her, you think my wife cared more for the dog than she did for me. I told her a dozen times that dog was Let sick. Let me go. I'm not your wife. Now listen to me. Listen to me, please. You people, this man, he's a, he's a spy. He's a monster. He's trying to kill me. Listen to her. Go on, folks. Listen to her. Drunk. That's what she is. Drunk. Such a thing to say about your own husband, well, I declare. Now, I'm going to take you on home to the ranch and put you to bed. You ought to be ashamed of Wait yourself. Wait a minute there, now, now, just a minute. Now, maybe you don't know, but I'm the county veterinarian. You can't leave that dog dead in the street. Now, according to law, we got to make an examination of any dog that's dead or alive and suspected of rabies. Now, you get that dog in the police wagon. But my wife... I don't care about your wife. She wasn't bit. Now, you say you own that dog. Your friend here was bit in the leg, and you were scratched in the arm. Now, you get that dog in the wagon, and you follow him. And you, too. Now, look here. Now, you look here. That's the law. Now, get. Or do you want a little help from the rest of these good citizens? Smith loosened this grip. I, I turned and edged through the crowd, which was moving in on him, and, and the bearded drunk. I, I got to the fringe, to the open street, and I ran toward the Bentley, and there... There coming toward me was Alex, coming from the pawn shop. Alex, alive, whole, limping, but alive. Alex, Alex, oh, Alex, my dear. Get in the car, quick. Torkel, they killed Torkel. Get in, tell me about it later. <laughs> We've got to get out of here. Smith, Smith said he was a mad dog. They're holding him. They said he'd have to have a rabies test because he was bit. Good, we'll <laughs> notify the FBI from the next town. And I got enough for the watch to buy gas to get us to Seattle. Did you reach Charles? No. No, Smith got into the room. He, he hit me. Well, you tell me about it later. Well, slow down. Here's the highway signs. San Francisco left. And there we are, Seattle. Turn right. I said turn right. You said, you said San Francisco left. Yes, but... We're not, we're not going to Seattle. What about Charles? <laughs> Who's Charles? But I, I only got $20 for the watch. <laughs> I think I can get a little more for the car in San Francisco. Hey. Go to sleep, darling. You must be worn out. I 
Don't know why I gave him a lift that day, but I'm awfully glad I did. From the magic of modern chemistry comes xylene, one of the highest octane gasoline components ever discovered. Xylene means new power for your car, new high Antinoch. And listen, today every gallon of Richfield gasoline contains xylene. Xylene and Richfield gasoline means surging power for the toughest hills and quick pickup in traffic. It means smooth, knockless power along the highway mile after mile. Moreover, your Richfield dealer offers you a choice of two great Richfield gasolines, both with xylene. For best results in the highest compression motors, select Richfield Ethyl. Ethyl at its best. For the average motor, get Richfield High Octane at regular price. Each Richfield brand is tops in its class. Each contains xylene. Try Richfield gasoline with xylene. Test it. Compare it with any gasoline. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson and has tonight presented The Rim of Terror by Hildegard Tylette. Adapted for radio by Mr. Robeson and starring Miss Nancy Kelly with Hans Conried as Alex. Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You're being haunted through the war-torn ruins of Berlin by a phony music hall mind reader who has stumbled on a secret that can send you to the gallows and from whom there is no escape. The Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to be with us again same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape! Brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasolines, motor oils, and other petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, we escape to Berlin and the story of an occupation G.I. trying desperately to break through a web of death that is being spun around him, as Morton Fine and David Friedkin tell it in their exciting story, Pass to Berlin. Greta was laughing. For me, there was no joy in it anymore. I looked through the window at Berlin, spread out like a half-buried skeleton. Berlin after a war, shock-carved in jagged concrete, and reflected in the window, Greta. Greta standing behind me with a drink in her hand. Oh, 
Schatz. Oh, Liebchen. Oh, drink your drink. Oh, drink with me, soldier boy. No, no, forget it, Credoway. Oh, such a pretty name. Ed Sawyer. Such a handsome face. But such a frown. Now, come, come. Make Greta laugh. It's all Greta wants. To laugh a little. <laughs> to forget her loneliness. Sure, sure. Laugh and forget, just the two of us. Me and Greta and let the rest of the world go by. Well, you made your loneliness, baby. You and Hitler. Oh, you <laughs> I'm funny, huh? A real <laughs> funny man, huh? Oh, great. I should have met you a long time ago. Greta likes you, soldier boy. Well, there's a broken heart, kid, because I'm leaving. Like that? Leaving? Greta remembers when you said love to her. Yeah, I remember too. Only now I remember why I'm in Berlin wearing a soldier suit. American. American is a swine. Candy bar American soldier. The conqueror from the cigarette democracy. I just dream it, kid. Dream your dream about how an American soldier was once nice to you. Right now, that's all. Wait. What? Oh, wait a minute. Come on, Greta. Get out of my way, will you? Oh, Greta is sorry. See? Look. Look, look, Greta is sorry. She's sorry. Please, don't go. Well, the mood moves you real fast, kid. All right, so now you're sorry. Oh, kiss me, big soldier boy. Handsome soldier Come boy. On, I said out of my way. Oh, dirty American, you drag swine. Thou Carol Schweinehund, you murderer of my country. You democracy weakly. Hey, what? hey, oh, I could kill you. Kill you, kill you. Listen, I said get out of my way. Take me, take you. Get out of my way. For a second, I stared where she'd fallen motionless. Her head lay against the lead piping of the wash basin. I watched a small pearl of blood squeeze through her lips. Then it died, too. Then I remembered fingerprints. I, I'd handled two things in that room. Greta and the highball glass. I smashed it to the floor and ground it with my heel. Outside, it was raining. That was a break. Because the rain had washed away the human rubbish that litters the Berlin pavements at night, and no one saw me leave the house. I walked, turned some corners, walked some more. Then a splash of neon smeared across the wet pavement, and I looked up. A theater. A theater for the amusement of G.I.s and the rehabilitated natives. I bought a ticket and went inside and found a seat. Ladies and gentlemen, the headline attraction of the evening, the most astounding mind-reading act of the century, direct from London, the great Stanley and his lovely assistant, Mona. Mona, who sees all, knows all, and tells all. Ladies and gentlemen, there are those among you who will disbelieve what you are about to witness. To these, I say only wait. <laughs> you must. I will descend among you, walk down the aisle, and here I ask one of the audience for some small object whose description is known only to himself. Uh, do you have such an object, sir? Yeah. 
Yeah, I got some. You call that something? Ah, uh, well, that's your barracks, bad, you guys. Uh, yeah, here, give me a reading. Thank you, thank you. Mona? I listen, Stanley. What is it that I hold in my hand? It is... It is something that has come from far away. An envelope. Postmarked. Vincennes, Indiana. Yes, Correct. Right. An envelope postmarked Vincennes, Indiana. Mona? I listen, Stanley. What precious thing do I hold in my hand now, Mona? Stanley. Reach into the spaces beyond space and tell me, what do I hold in my hand? A locket. Yeah, yeah, that is right. I love it. A golden locket, and inside there is a strand of golden hair. A child. Yeah, that is the heart of my kid. Now, as a soul. Oh, they were good, the great Stanley and Mona. Slick, poised, and professional. Two glittering phonies who knew the score, and they kept it up. Mona! Do not lose your concentration. Now, identify this object. Stanley? You must, Mona. You must. There's darkness here. Only darkness. Ah, come on, come on, what's the matter? Something stands in the way. There's a murderer here. What? A murderer. Let me go. A murderer. They rang down the curtain and I sat there until the next act came on. Sat there and knew there was no way anyone could have guessed about Greta. No way. It was just a cheap, rotten, dramatic trick to suck the audience in and it had worked. Oh, some of the audience was laughing. Others were obviously affected by it. Moronic idiots with their mouths open and their eyes uneasy. And me? Well, maybe I was being naive, ridiculous, but I had to find out. I waited until the audience began to give attention to a tired, blonde singer. There was a door to the left of the orchestra pit that led backstage. I slipped from my seat and headed for it like it was my business. I walked down a corridor. There were cells on each side tagged with performers' names. Mona's door had a star on it. The star was gilt, and the gilt was peeling. One moment. Yes? She was taller than I thought. Her face was delicate with an almost wistful expression, but it was her eyes... Gray and soft as if the color had been strained through gauze. Yes? What is it? I came back to congratulate you on your performance, Mona. That's quite an act. That's real big time. Thank you. Only, only you're phony. You are. Please go away. It's real phony, isn't it? You're a man whose words are like acid in the hands of a child. If you do not scar yourself, you will scar others. I do not wish to speak with you. You're not even English. Oh, no, don't close the door on me. Please. Yeah, that's better. You're not English, huh? Are you American? Come on, where are you from, honey? Now, you know, you you got a fair act there. That, that guy who calls himself the great Stanley. It was not an act. Oh, then... Well, then, why did you say there was a murderer in the audience? I don't know why. Well, then you were kidding. I felt his presence. There was a murderer. You, you still feel it? Yes. Mona, there's a cab waiting to take us to the hotel. And I... Hi, oh. Stanley. Good evening, Sergeant. This gentleman knocked on my door. 
Well, I'm glad he did. It's always a pleasure to meet a soldier. A medical corps man by your shoulder patch, I see. Welcome. Oh, thanks. Would you wait for me in the cab, Mona? I'll only be a moment. Do not be long. I need you with me. You swore the extraordinary performance, Sergeant... Uh, um, Sawyer, Ed Sawyer. Oh, I consider it an honor that you should take time to come backstage and express your appreciation. <laughs> uh, that a hard-bitten G.I. should become a convert to Mona's miraculous powers. Are you kidding me, or, or am I kidding you? No, 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 no. We don't have to kid each other, do we? We fellow sophisticates, hmm? However, the others out there, well, perhaps they were fooled. It's amusing to kid them, and also, one lives this way. Well, you and Mona should check on each other. She tried to make me believe your act was on the level. Well, Mona is my wife, and she's loyal to the illusions that I create about her. Ah. Well, then that murderer bit was phony. Oh, naturally, but effective, don't you think? Yeah. How did you think of it? Oh, an inspiration, Sergeant... Uh, uh, Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer. An act such as ours needs one piece of sensationalism to shock a new audience, and we have it, don't you think? Yeah, you got it. Oh, uh, just one thing, Stanley. Of course. Tell Mona something for me, will you? Of course. Tell her her eyes are the most beautiful I've ever seen. Oh, she will be pleased. She's blind, you know. The smile held, and the smile was phony like their act was phony. I knew now I had nothing to worry about, so I left. I went back to my room in the Garmisch Hotel, stood on the balcony for a while, watching the fingers of light from Tempelhof play against the sky, lighting it up fitfully, disappearing. And far away, silhouetted the hulk of some broken buildings, caught now in the beacon and then lost. I watched it stared, and then I saw it. The outlines of some structures blasted by bombs, but it's like a scaffold of, of gallows. Precisely that. And something else, a figure detached itself from the shadows, a figure of a man scavenging among the rubble of the torn buildings, and he stopped and over his head the gallows. The man and the gallows caught against the night. I went to bed, closed my mind to all of it. Toward morning, I had a dream. I dreamt I was standing in a stone yard and I was watching some men, some blind men, and they were building a scaffold. Then I was awake and I jumped out of bed. I saw what the hammering had been. Nailed to my door was a shroud, a shroud for a dead man, and pinned to it under a single white carnation, a small white envelope. Adlon Flores, it said, and on the other side, some writing. Memory of Ed Sawyer, it said. Thou art cursed because thou hast killed. What does the word xylene mean? To a scientist, the word xylene means a super octane gasoline component, one of the highest octane gasoline components ever discovered. To a motorist using Ridgefield gasoline, xylene means new flashing power in the toughest highway grind. Xylene means new high antinoc that gives you a quiet running motor and new lightning acceleration to snap you out ahead in busy traffic. Why? Because today, every gallon of Ridgefield gasoline contains xylene. What's more, your Ridgefield dealer offers you a choice of two great Ridgefield gasolines with xylene. 
select Richfield Ethel for best results in highest compression motors or Richfield High Octane at regular price for the average car. Each contains xylene. Each is a champion in its class. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Get Richfield High Octane or Richfield Ethyl Gasoline containing xylene, one of the highest octane components ever discovered. And now, we return you to Escape. Good morning. I may do something for you, Sergeant? Yes, you can. You're fortunate, Sergeant. Just this morning, just arrived this morning, fresh-cut camellias flown in from Italy. No, they no, are no flowers. A shroud. Talk to me about a shroud. A shroud? My heartfelt condolences, Sergeant. A shroud, of course. If you'll come this A shroud way... that was delivered to the Garmisch Hotel, room 312, this morning from your shop. Yeah, yeah, na naturally. I, I remember such an order. I, I pray it met the requirements. I'm crazy about it. Why was it nailed on my door? Why? I, I I do not understand. I didn't order it. Who did? Why, uh, early this morning, Sergeant, early this morning by special post, in order for a shroud and a wreath with instructions for their disposition. Who wrote the order? Who gave these instructions? That I do not know, Sergeant. It was a typewritten, unsigned, and more than a sufficient amount of American money to take care of everything. I thought somebody who wished to remain anonymous... Well, here's some more American money. Oh. Now tell your boy to tear that thing off my door. Yeah, but Sergeant... Tell him, florist! I left him there. Nobody knew why I'd killed her. Nobody. I went back to the hotel to think about it some more, to try and think it away. <laughs> I made myself to home, kid. I knew you wanted to see me. You wore a derby hat and a tight overcoat with a moth-eaten fur collar. Cheeks ruddy, eyes red-rimmed, and a replica of his nose could have been bought in a carnival supply house. Oh, jolly, a jolly fat punk with a mission. Hey, sit down, kid. Take a load off of brain. The man is here who will take care of everything, just like the corpse that died in the good old USA. Who are you, and what do you want? Here, take one. That's my card. I can see it from here. It's real pretty. Now, what does it say on it? Hey... Joseph Scarn, it says. That's my name. Mortician, it says. That's my business. That's what? Oh, uh, yeah. Puzzles you, huh, kid? I just gotta tell you about Joe Scarn. That'll explain me to you. Yeah, do that, will you? Yeah. Well, uh, see, back in the States before the war, this was my career. Mortician. That's funeral director. Uh, then they demobilized me right here in Berlin. Now, this is the break I've been waiting for all my life. Where better to pursue the career mortician than right here in good old Berlin? Come on, come I, on, get up. Come on, now, get out of here, will you? Don't come on, get me, out. kid. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the final arrangements for the funeral. Funeral? What funeral? Nobody's dead. Nobody's even feeling bad. Well, this overjoys me tremendously, son, but look, about the casket. Look, look, this is a joke, isn't it? A gag? Isn't that what it is? Something the boys who came on past with me cooked up? That's it, isn't it? Come on! They, they send you here. That's, that's it, isn't it? Come on, will you talk? Talk to me! Take your hands off me, soldier boy. You got the hysteria. Come on, who sent you here? Come on! A, a letter. A letter this morning with money and instructions. Typewritten, no signature. Oh, you peek. Come on, Jim! Uh, yes, yes, that's right. It said to come to this hotel room and make arrangements to receive the body. Who, whose body? 
Why, the letter said the body of Ed Sawyer, Sergeant, Army of the United States. It said Ed Sawyer was about to die. It said he was going to be executed for murder. All of a sudden, there were no more words. His jaws were moving, but there was no sound. Even when the folds of his fat face moved into a chuckle, I got nothing. He was out of focus, all blurry. I ran past him and out onto the street. It took me an hour to push my way through Berlin's derelict, scarred alleys to Greta's rooming house. If someone in that house recognized me as a murderer, I would know it. No matter how he tried to hide it, I would know it. Face him. Face him and take it from there. That was what I had to do with... Bitte? Uh... Was wollen Sie? Uh, have you ever seen me before? <laughs> Bitte? Oh, don't kid me, all you crouch, no English when you need it. Now, have you ever seen me before? Come on, talk, will you? Let's be close. Come on. Heinrich, Heinrich. Come in this schnell. There's all that. We let us listen. Yeah. What you want, sir? Well, that's better. Our papers are in order. Everything in our houses, as you Americans have ordered. Wait, I will show you. Oh, don't, don't fret yourself, Dad. It's yeah. just that I have a feeling I've been to this house before and I've got to find out. <laughs> Is this some kind of a drunken joke you're playing with us? Just tell me if you've ever seen me before. Ah, you are sick. Please go away from us. Yes, that's right. I'm sick. It, it happens like this lots of times. I, I, amnesia. You know, it's the war, but... Now, look at me, look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're sure you've never seen me before? Yeah, we, we are sure, Sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> come and sit down. No, no, wait a minute, will you come and sit? Yeah. Your other guest. Yeah. Could I see them? What is the need, Sergeant? One has been drunk for three days. Yeah. He will stay drunk for three days more. Yeah. Another Elsa and I have not seen for a week. Nine. And the third is in the morgue. This morning she was taken there dead. Yeah, yeah, tot. Ah, ah, that Greta. Always she gave us trouble. Yeah, Elsie, yeah? Police, doctors, questions. Oh, all right, all right, I'm coming. Yeah. Sergeant Sawyer. Sergeant Edward Sawyer? Yeah? This is Stanley speaking, the great Stanley. Oh. Will you do me the honor to meet me at 11.30 tonight in the tear garden in the Seeker's Alley? The statue of Frederick the Great would be a charming spot. Well, charm me over the phone, Stanley. I don't like the cold night air. It can be helpful. Bring penicillin with you. Bring what? Penicillin. They're so desperate for it here in Berlin. They pay fabulous wads of money for it on the black market. Bring all you can. And later, as I ask you for it, you'll bring more. Now, oh, look, we... For an American soldier in the medical corps, it's so easy. You gone crazy, Stanley? Oh, oh, my dear sergeant, a murderer. A murderer does not question another's sanity. To him, all other beings are insane. Haven't you found it so? How would I know about murderers? Ask Greta. Greta? How did you find out about her? Uh-huh. You told me, my dear boy, when you were so curious about a murder after the performance. You told me when you permitted the grisly humors of the shroud and casket to force you to revisit the scene of death. You followed me. Yes, of course I followed you. Each of your flights of terror was more and more promising. And when you went to the rooming house, I made inquiries. They told me of the lonely girl who'd been murdered, and they were very accommodating. You're still there, Sergeant. Yes, yes, I, I'm still here. But then I can expect you then at 11.30. It'll give me time to change after the performance. Sure. 
Sure, 11.30. I'll be glad to do you the honor, Stanley. Oh, he made it easy for nothing. He'd let me know who it was I had to be afraid of. Stanley. The great Stanley. And Mona with the pale, lovely, blind eyes. Boy, what an act they had. I wondered how many times their sensational finish had paid off like this. How many murderers had handed themselves over to Stanley and Mona on a platter for nothing. But I could change all that. I could get off the hook real cheap. I could fix it so Mona and the great Stanley would let me rest in peace for nothing. Uh, no, not for nothing. Just the price of an admission ticket. There were about 30 people in the theater, most of them soldiers. The opening act was on when I got there and slid into a seat. A family of French jugglers whirling shiny hoops on every loose piece of anatomy on the stage. Stanley and Mona were next to closing, so I figured I had about an hour. I waited until the French were balancing everything but the proscenium, and then when they had everything in the air, I used the same orchestra entrance to backstage. The door to Mona's dressing room was open. The room was dark. I eased inside just as the next act came hurrying down the corridor, still hooking up their costumes. I brushed against a moldy curtain that hung from wooden rings. I pulled it back, hid behind it, and waited. Still, I cannot understand why you must leave me tonight, Stanley. What is so important at 11.30? Through the dim light of the corridor, I saw Mona walk into the room and sit down at her dressing table. Stanley was right behind her. He was reaching for the light switch when my hands found his mouth in his throat and I began to strangle him. My fingers dug into his flesh and I crushed his breath back into him. He made no sound. There was, there was only the soft laughter that seeped through the theater and his soft throat in my hands. And then Mona's soft voice. Why do you not answer, Stanley? Is it a rendezvous? Stanley? Stanley, what is it? Why are you so silent? Stanley? Stanley! Suddenly her fingers were on my face, frightened and quick, like the wings of a wounded bird. Then slowly they began to search the empty air for the dead Stanley. She turned and her blind eyes stared right at me, and I brushed her aside and ran down the corridor. An old doorman sat reading a newspaper at the stage door. I couldn't get out that way without his seeing me. Only one way, back through the theater. I started up the aisle, and then I knew I was doing the wrong thing. There was an MP at the head of the aisle, a corporal from the MPs, the braid, the white spats, and the club. In this tiny audience, if I left in the middle of the act, he'd remember me. So I sat down in the row that was the most fearful. When I looked back at the end of the act, there were other MPs standing at each exit. Then the curtain rose. Mona stood there with a man you see on every street in Berlin. A German policeman in the natty German police uniform. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I shall descend among you accompanied by this esteemed gentleman and read your mind through my fingertips. You, sir, I can read your innermost secrets by touching your face. So. Oh, sir, you and this girl beside you, you told your wife you were working late at the office tonight. <laughs> she looked away up the aisle, coming closer and closer. And you, sir, 
My fingers reveal that you have bought an escape from KP duty. Please. And now, there's a gentleman in this row. My fingers reveal he has a medical core shoulder patch. Come on, take your hands off of me, hey, will what's you? What's the matter, soldier? You afraid Mona will give away your secrets? Come on, one side, will you? Let me go. Come on, soldier, move it, will you? Come on, John, go Come on, let me out of here, will you? Come on, guy, move! He's got secrets, he's got... Have you got secrets? Hey, Mona, Mona, what are you waiting for? Tell us the soldier's secrets! Come on, yeah. move, I'm will you? Everybody. Come on. Get me right to this guy's secrets! Oh, shut up, will you? Shut up! Mona, hurry up, he can't They held me there laughing. The others all turned in their seats to stare. The German cop pinned me back in the seat. And then Mona's fingers reached out and trailed across my face. Lingered. They were the fingers of death. They were cool and gentle. Almost a caress. This is the man. This is the murderer. Spring weather is hard to figure. Cool one day, summer heat the next. Those quick temperature changes are tough on you. And they can be tough on your car, too, unless it is properly protected. Don't take chances. Get Richfield All-Point Safety Service now before damage is done. Get the protection that a careful All-Point lubrication job from chassis to motor can give your car. In addition, Richfield All-Point Service includes a safety check and proper care of all likely trouble spots, such as the battery, spark plugs, tires, and radiator. Drive into the Richfield Gasoline Dealer Station tomorrow. Save yourself time and trouble by having all the necessary spring servicing done at the same time by a man who knows how to do it right. And while you're there, ask for Richfield's informative new 32-page baseball book. It's free. Ask for your copy while the supply lasts. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight has presented Pass to Berlin by Martin Fine and David Friedkin. Featured in the cast were Stacey Harris as Sergeant Sawyer, Peggy Weber as Mona, and Ben Wright as Stanley. Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week. You are lying on a small knoll in the prairie west of the Platte River. In a few moments, dawn will herald the attack of the encircling Apaches. An attack of such fury that for you, there can be no escape. Next week at this time, the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to escape with an exciting tale of the Old West. As James Warner Bella tells it in his thrilling story, Command be listening. Goodbye then until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. Tom Hanlon speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>